I've got some times in my life, my guess is you do too, when you were walking on the precipice of a cliff, you could have gone down into great danger, and the holy shepherd of the universe took his staff and took you by the neck and yanked you back. Jesus calls himself a good shepherd. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that David is taking us through the Gospel of John. Today, David picks up in John chapter 10, where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd and the Gate. Here's David with some deep and profound insights as to what these titles mean for us as believers in Jesus. So Jesus is using a parable, an analogy of his life with his followers being like a shepherd and sheep, but the religious leaders, the Pharisees with whom he was dialoguing, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They just didn't get it. So here we have in verses one through six, some great insights into sheep and who we are in relationship to our shepherd, Jesus. Now, the next section is a message about the shepherd and under shepherds for The shepherd calls under-shepherds or pastors, interestingly, that word pastor in the Latin literally translated means shepherd. So anyone called to be a pastor of a church is a shepherd who is like the head shepherd, the chief shepherd, and leads like he leads and loves his sheep like Jesus loves the sheep. So In verses 7 through 15, we have interesting insights about the shepherd and also under-shepherds whom he calls to care for his sheep on this side of eternity. Verse 7, verse 7 through 15. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, listen up, this is very important, this is truth, hear this, hear ye, hear ye, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, we talked about the sheep fold that's at night where shepherds would bring their sheep and the gatekeeper would be there to take care of the sheep throughout the night. Once led to the pasture, the shepherd would oftentimes build walls around the sheep in the pasture to protect them. And then if he had to spend the night in the open pasture, which would happen sometimes for a variety of different reasons, maybe the weather was bad, he couldn't get them back, or maybe he just knew the sheep were too tired in all of their wanderings and meanderings throughout the day, he would build that wall around them and there'd be one opening. And that opening was called the door. And the shepherd would literally lay his body down before that door in the broader pasture throughout the night to protect his sheep. So the only way, a wolf, a bear, a lion, or any other kind of human predator who might want to steal the sheep, the only way they could get to the sheep was through that shepherd. So Jesus says, I'm the door. The only way you get into my large pasture sheepfold, the only way that can happen is through me. Dear friends, this is a clear claim to exclusivity. For those of you who think that Christians are narrow-minded, bigoted, obscurantists who can't see the broader truths of the world, we can only teach what Jesus taught. I, as a pastor, can only say what he said. He said, I am that door. The only way you can get in and out of that pasture sheepfold is through me. 
The only way you can be saved is through Jesus, and that is what he is clearly stating here. The I am statement is yet another claim to exclusivity. He's using the phrase from Exodus 3, verse 14, where Moses asked God, what's your name? When I go to Pharaoh and he asked me, well, who sent you? Who it is that I should say is sending me? And God gives him the name, I am who I am. It was the unutterable name of God. And the Jews didn't think it was utterable. And Jesus on several occasions says this phrase to describe who he is. We've already seen that he said, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. He said, I am the light of the world. I will guide your life home to heaven. He also said here again that I am the door. I am the way to get to the Father in heaven. And it it was an extraordinary claim. You can see probably the religious leader's jaws dropping to the ground when he says something like that again. Their little yarmulke is popping off the head as their steam is coming out of their ears. They are really ticked off with this claim. But throughout the Gospel of John, that's what John's trying to do is answer this question, who is Jesus? So here again he says, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. This insinuates that there were pretenders to be Messiah beforehand. There were people who came and claimed to be the Messiah sent from God. And Jesus says clearly here, they were all thieves and robbers. They climbed over a wall. Uh, They tried to steal sheep for their own purposes. Many of these pretenders lost their lives in rebellion against Rome or the Greeks when that happened. And Jesus clearly says here, they're not the Messiah. They're thieves and they're robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, look at what Jesus says here. He says, I am that door. He said, and only through me will you be saved. Now, in southern jargon and terminologies, we joke a lot and go, hey, brother, hey, sister, are you saved? And, you know, people kind of go, yeah, I'm saved. And we have made salvation so superficial. The question I always ask you, dear friends, when you talk about being saved, the first question is, what are you saved from? And until you realize that your salvation is cheap, you need to realize that Jesus left the splendor of heaven to enter the squalor of this world to save us from our sin because our ultimate destination was hell, eternal separation from God. Not the popular subject that makes me really popular with people, but it is the subject that needs to be taught whenever anybody talks about salvation. You're saved from hell. That's why the beauty of eternal salvation is glorious because we are saved from eternal separation from God. What is hell? Hell is simply where God is not. May I say that again? Hell is simply where God is not. And Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us from being separated from the Father in heaven forever. It is a wonderful gift that he has given us salvation from hell, but then also we go in and out to the pastures. Now, what does that mean? Jesus not only says, I save you from the reality of hell, but I give you the gift of eternal life. And he not only promises us to take us in and out of the pastures here that we live in to provide for us in every single way, 
Jesus promises to meet the needs of every single one of his sheep. He says, I will take you in and out of the pastures you need on this side of eternity, but it's also a promise to take us to heaven, to the greatest pasture of all, that that is not only salvation from hell, but it's also salvation to heaven, and both of those realities make us rejoice in the shepherd and love him so dearly. Then comes one of the most profound verses in all of the Scripture, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the thief who wants to use the sheep for his own glory finds his heart rooted in the ultimate thief, Satan himself. And this is Satan's job description as he led a rebellion in heaven. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. He hates God. So don't blame God for the killing, stealing, and destroying that's going on in this universe. That is a satanic overtone, a satanic desire that he has in his heart. And he motivates false shepherds here in the church to come and to kill, steal, and destroy people's souls with false messages, false gospels. But Jesus said, be aware, I did not come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's a thief. I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. He wants to give us abundant life, joy, laughter, meeting every one of our needs, providing for us in ways that just make us love him more every single day. He wants life to be a joyous ride, an incredible journey. That's what he desires. That's what Jesus came to give. Jesus is about life. Satan's about death. Jesus is about abundant joy. The evil one and his under-shepherds are about robbing and stealing that joy from us. And Jesus is giving us that clear warning now. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I find that fascinating. I am the good shepherd. Notice the adjective that he uses to describe himself. As the chief shepherd over all of his sheep, he's good. Lord, you are good, and your mercies endure forever. Now, why is this important? Dear friends, you've got to get this adjective about who Jesus is down. He is good. He's not evil. He is good. He desires the best for your life. He's a good shepherd. And when you get that down, you know that no matter what happens to you, the good shepherd is using it for good. This understanding of the goodness of the shepherd is the key to faith. We can't please God without faith. That's what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, and that he's the rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. But what's the key to faith? It is believing that Jesus, the lover of our souls, is a good shepherd. Now, let me give you a couple of few insights about shepherds in that day that will help you understand that goodness. First of all, they carried around a pouch, and in that pouch, they would have some pieces of bread that they would sometimes feed the sheep if they got hungry, but also stones they would use to drive away bears and lions and wolves. Point being, your great shepherd who is good, loves you so dearly, he does feed you with his gracious goodness, and he will provide for you in every one of your needs. Moreover, he is your protector against the enemy, and he has his stones he uses to fight your battles for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Trust him today and forever. He also would carry an anointing flask, and he would oftentimes anoint the heads of the sheep. Why? They would catch briars in their wool. They would sometimes brush against thorns. They'd be scraped and bleeding, and he would use 
use that anointing oil to soothe those scratches, to soothe those cuts, to make the sheep feel better. Jesus is the great physician, and he takes the woundedness of your soul and pours his oil, the Holy Spirit's presence upon it, and heals you of all of your hurts. Moreover, though, sometimes the shepherd would anoint the sheep with oil all across their heads. Why? Because they would sometimes in their stupidity start butting one another with their heads, but if their heads were anointed with oil, they would just slide off with one another, and they would then hit each other and finally realize it's stupid for me to butt my head against your head if the oil's there on top, and it would be protecting the sheep from different things that should not be going on. And also, A rod and a staff would be something the shepherd would carry. The rod was a shorter stick, about four feet long, and it would oftentimes have a little bit of an edge to it. So if the sheep ever got in trouble or the shepherd saw they were moving in a direction they shouldn't, the shepherd would use that rod to bring them back, poke them sometimes, maybe even sometimes hurt their bodies, not for making them unable to walk for the rest of their lives, but hurting them to the point where they would stop and say, ouch, you know, I shouldn't maybe move in that direction. But what's so fascinating here that you need to know, and I struggle with this sometimes when I think about God maybe bringing a a place of pain in my life, and I go, why did you do that if you're a good, kind shepherd? It's often later that I realize he did that to prevent me from going there, which would have been destructive for me. And in that picture that we see so often of Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulders, do you know what that means from a shepherd's standpoint? The lambs the shepherd would always put around their necks and around their shoulders were always the lambs the shepherd had just bonked with the rod. Were always the sheep that the shepherd had kind of hurt a little bit because they were moving in a wrong direction. It's a great parental message, isn't it, that when you parents have to discipline your children, make sure you hug them afterwards. All the sheep that the shepherd had to inflict some pain on in order to keep them from going in a stupid direction, he would then put on on his shoulders and love them immeasurably for some time until they would get well again. That's a great message for all of us to realize how much the shepherd really loves us. And the staff, of course, was a longer one with a crook on the end of it to try to keep them from walking off edges and would sometimes put, them, uh, put the crook of the staff around their neck and yank them back off the edge of a cliff. And you know what? I've got some times in my life, my guess is you do too, when you were walking on the precipice of a cliff and your life could have fallen over and you could have gone down into great danger and the holy shepherd of the universe took his staff and took you by the neck and yanked you back and you look back now and go, I was so close to destruction. I was so close to going over the edge. Jesus calls himself a good shepherd. And then he follows that with the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd, Jesus, laid down his life for all of us. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that idea in just a moment. That's the ultimate love. No greater love does a man have for another than to die for them. And Jesus says here, the shepherd loves his sheep so much he's willing to die for them. If you ever doubt the love of the good shepherd, just go to the cross. Glance at the cross and remember that Jesus went through all of that suffering because of great love for you to save you from your sins and give you the gift of the eternal pasture, heaven, eternal life. Jesus causes a dividing point between people. 
There are people throughout the world, mothers who have separated themselves from daughters who love Jesus. There are fathers who have separated themselves from sons who love Jesus. There is division that still occur over the name of Jesus. And the question that John is asking throughout this book is, who is Jesus? Who is he, folks? You've got to make that decision. You know, he's either demon-possessed or he's insane and crazy. But here's what the people said, but, but his words don't sound like the words of a man possessed by a demon. And his words give life, not death. He can't be consumed by a demon. He can't be insane. His words give blessing and hope and life, sanity to people. What do you do with this Jesus? He's either who he said he was, God in human flesh, who came in a vicarious atonement to take away our sins and give us the gift of eternal life, be his sheepfold here on earth to bring moments of hope to this very dying world, or he's a crazy man. You've got to make that choice. And people throughout the ages and even now are making that decision. It causes division even today. But you know what? I just want to be on the right side of truth. Jesus began this section of Scripture with, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm going to teach you the truth. I choose to believe that Jesus is God in human flesh. He came to take my sins away and give me the gift of eternal life. What about you? What will you do with the good shepherd sheep today? And make sure you're in a church that has great under-shepherds who teach the word of the Lord faithfully in every possible way. And one final thing, I really need to say this. The family is the microcosm of the macrocosm. And God has appointed, first of all, fathers to be the shepherds of their home. I really believe that. Now, that doesn't mean wives aren't important. They're equal in the home in every possible way. But God called the father to be the shepherd. And he's called to lead and he's called to teach and to give his children the chance to know Jesus. And the wife is there to support him in every possible way. And if you're a single parent here today, just know that through you, that same thing can happen. If the father's left your home and you're a single mom, you can still be used mightily by Jesus for his glory. But just remember, the home is the first sheepfold. And as you faithfully serve Husbands, wives, especially as under-shepherds there, you give your children the best chance to know Jesus because faith is more caught than taught. They want to see you love Jesus, and when they do, they'll follow the voice of the shepherd who is placed over their homes, and you can lead them into green pastures where they can have all of the blessings the Lord intends for them as well. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. 
the place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure being with you as well. Well, David, you titled this morning's e-devotion, HALT, H-A-L-T. What does this mean? Well, it's something I learned, I think, from my college basketball coach, Dean Smith, who had a profound respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. Not that he was one, but he just felt like what they did in community, helping people, was extraordinary. And I think I've heard it later on from different people who are in AA. Here's what it's trying to say. Every single one of us has to make life choices. And whenever we do, make sure that you guard yourself about an impulse choice that is ultimately going to end up poorly. And when you have to make those choices, do halt. Now, what does that mean? It means never make a decision, especially an important life decision, when you're H, hungry, when you're A, angry, when you're L, lonely, or when you're T, tired. Mm. Because when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you usually make a decision to give you immediate gratification just to get through the next moment. Oftentimes, those decisions can be terribly destructive. You don't need to make them. So pause, rest, give your body a chance to heal some from whatever is going on, make sure you eat well, Uh, make sure you address your anger, what's causing it, spend some time in community with friends, go rest and maybe get a little exercise too, which might help your body not be so tired. And then when your head has cleared, your circumstances have changed, you'll be able to make a much more wise decision. So that's the point here today. Mm -hmm. When you have to make a big decision, halt, stop, (laughs) ask the question, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If I am, don't make the decision. Pause. Give yourself some time. Practice procrastinational living. And when you do, you'll then be able to make a much wiser decision later on because you've given yourself a pause and some time and you're not governed by your crazy emotions that have gone awry. This is so good. In our household, we have a little compound word with two of these and we say, are you hangry? (laughs) hungry and angry. And honestly, as you're talking about this, I'm reminded of the story of Jacob and Esau. There was hunger involved. And this didn't Esau give away his birthright because he he was hungry. He was just hungry. And he operated in the lusts of his flesh and made a decision where he gave his entire birthright as the primogenitor child, the firstborn child, to his secondborn brother child, who then took it and squandered it. And that's just a great example of what we're talking about, Jen. It changed the whole course of his life. It it really did. It's powerful. It's simple, but powerful. Well, I think all of us have decisions we have to make every single day. Uh, Our life is the sum total of every choice we've ever had to make. So 
let's make wise choices. You know, James 3.17 says, For God's wisdom is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So let's make decisions based on God's wisdom and not when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. This is so good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen. And listeners, if you would like to receive from me these daily written Moments of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours. And I have only one agenda free of charge to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for our frontline healthcare workers. 